Gunter Cicelli is here, and he's going to speak on anti-Semitism among Muslims in Europe. And I'm just going to speak for a brief moment. I had uh, sort of a, uh, an intense 10 days or so, so I just want to touch on it. Some of you know that I was there. I went to Rwanda. Uh, it was the 20th anniversary of the genocide in Rwanda. And there was an international conference for, for memory uh, in Kigali in the parliament. And I spoke there with a group of scholars and policymakers. And um, I just want to convey a very quick story to give you some food for thought. And I, I don't want to take away from Gunther's important lecture, but I just want to share this with you because I think it's um, important at many levels. Um, in 2009, I spoke at the United Nations in Geneva. It was the Durban II conference. And the, the Durban II conference was on a panel discussion with uh, legal scholars including Erwin Kotler, who is the former Minister of Justice of Canada, a human rights professor, law professor. And uh, we spoke about incitement, international law and incitement. And we were speaking about how the Iranian revolutionary regime, not the people, but the regime, was inciting to genocide while it was trying to build and is trying to build a nuclear weapon. And we also spoke about how radical Islam, not Islam and not Muslims, but radical political Islam, was inciting to genocide against Jewish people. And I gave my talk there, and right after we were finished, it was on Yom HaShoah 2009. Yesterday was, I spoke at the United Nations in New York on Yom HaShoah. So in 2009, it was two hours before uh, the, the, the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, addressed the General Assembly in Geneva for the Durban II conference on Yom HaShoah. So was a, there was a buzz in the building, and we, we had a lecture, and it was attended by a few hundred people. And I'd say about a hundred of the 300 people in the room were from Iran, from guests of the, or workers with the regime. Anyways, as soon as I finished speaking, a group of Rwandans came to me and said, we'd like to take you for a coffee. So I went. It turned out that there were a group of scholars and diplomats from the uh, mission, the Rwandan mission in Geneva. They took me for a coffee in the cafeteria of the United Nations, and they basically said to me that don't you understand what is happening to the Jews today in the Middle East and globally, this is 2009, is exactly what happened to us. They were Tutsis, and for months, for years leading up to the genocide in Rwanda, Hutu extremists were calling them non-human derogatory names like cockroaches and, and the like. And they said that this incitement, this dehumanization, lay the groundwork for the genocide in Rwanda and the protocols of the elders of Zion and what happened to the Jews in Europe for, for years leading up to the Holocaust is exactly what happened to them, it's exactly what happened to the Jews of Europe. And they said, don't you understand, this is exactly what's happening to you again, 2009. And they made me promise, and this is why I'm repeating the story in part, that when I go back to the United States to tell the human rights community, to tell the academic community, and to tell the Jewish community that they have to become active. And this was a group of Rwandans making me promise to tell American Jews to do something, that they couldn't believe that American Jews were so educated, so integrated economically, successfully integrated, and yet they remained silent. And this is 2009.
Fast forward 2014, I had the great honor yesterday of being at the United Nations to speak on Yom HaShoah on a panel. And part of my speech was reading the headlines from Al Jazeera, from Al Haram, from The Guardian, from The Telegraph, from Le Monde, and the words apartheid and Israel were in the global, international, media of record because they were quoting a leader, a major leader in the free Western world. On Yom HaShoah, and I said in the United Nations that's an abomination. And we are going to hear a very important analysis. I know the work of Gunther Well, he's a leading scholar. We're going to hear what's going on in the ground in Europe and it's very important research. And we have a tendency in this country to look at Europe, to look at the Middle East, and to look at the problems around the world. But there's something happening here. If a leader of Russia, of China, of England, of Germany stood up and said something similar, we would be outraged. And I'm amazed at the silence here. I'm a Canadian-Israeli scholar. I'm amazed. It's my humble opinion. So without further ado, <laughs> So, I would, it's really an honor. Sorry, yes. I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. My name is Charles Small. I'm the director of ISGAP, and ISGAP is running the program. Okay, so Gunther, Gunther told me to cut short the introduction, so I, I will try to be brief. So, Gunther is really, a, and I'm not saying this to be polite, a leading scholar from Europe. He earned his PhD at the Center for Research on Antisemitism at the Technical University of Berlin which was one of the foremost uh, centers on anti-Semitism, one of the first uh, of not many. So it is and was an important center. Uh, Gunther is affiliate, affiliated currently with the Moses Mendelssohn Center at the University of Potsdam and the group Societe Religion La Cité, which is the CNRS, which is a prestigious research center in Paris. He was there actually from 2000 and 11 to 2012, and he served as an advisor on combating anti-Semitism to the Organization of, uh, for Security and Cooperation in Europe. He has written on anti-Semitism widely, including discrimination of Muslims in Europe, issues of forced labor, and the perceptions of, of the Holocaust among Europeans. He re recently published an important book entitled Perceptions of the Holocaust in Europe and, in, and Muslim Communities which was published by Springer, an important uh, publishing house in Germany. And um, his forthcoming book from the Indiana University Press is on Muslim anti-Semitism in Europe. He's currently spending the semester at India, Indiana University at the Justin Druk Family Visiting Scholarship Program at the ISCA, and he's teaching a course there on anti-Semitism. So it's really uh, a privilege and honor to have Kultur here with us this evening. It's, uh, it's an honor to be inv invited uh, to speak here, and Charles is one of the very few leading scholars working on anti-Semitism um, who take this that seriously. Um, 
and you can be. I'm always surprised how few uh, scholars take their research, uh, what they find that Anderson doesn't miss the wish to for murder, that they often they don't take it as serious as they should. So it's a great honor to speak here at this institute and uh, in, in this this place. Um, I think we are um, few enough people to get into discussions. I won't run through all my presentation, maybe so I'm invited to uh, ask whenever you feel like that and we can go into more discussions. Um, I prepared some statistics and survey results and results from, um, from qualitative surveys. Um, but please feel free to um, to interrupt me and ask questions even during the lecture. I think that will be more lively. I think we have now a good hour. Is that correct? Until all right, good. So I want to talk about Europe and specifically um, anti-Semitism among Muslims in Europe. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of background about uh, Muslims in Europe. I don't know how, how familiar you are with, with Europe or with the um, different uh, countries, there are Muslim minorities. Um, most Muslims in Europe live in one of the three countries, Germany, France, or the UK. And they have very different backgrounds. So in France, most of the Muslims, they come from North Africa, or uh, the parents or grandparents come from North Africa, to be more precise. Um, in, in the UK, that is rather from um, Pakistan, Bangladesh, or India. Um, in Germany, most of the Muslims um, have a Turkish origin. Um, what we can see also from the it's often, uh, it's mostly a result from the, um, from the immigration background um, that is most um, Muslims came in the 70s and 80s um, to work in Europe and um, came from rather poor backgrounds and today we can see that um, Muslims are disproportionately disadvantaged in comes to housing, education, um, and also employment. Um, but I think it's important to to uh, to uh, see that when we talk about Muslims in Europe, they are they have very different backgrounds ethnically and also from the um, from the interpretation of Islam. So we have Shiites, we have Sunnis, we have Alevis, um, and it is, if we speak of the Muslims in Europe, we should think about the diversity of it. Um, we have Islamist organizations um, in Europe, a number of them, many of them are influenced by the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, that has, um, that is due to the history of the last decades, um, well in fact, since the 1960s and even um, in some respects earlier, um, often Islamist organizations 
present themselves as representative, but they are not. If you ask in surveys, Muslims, if they feel represented by Islamist organizations, they are not representative. But they are the most vocal um, and have influences in, in mosques and um, Muslim community centers and so on. Um, so if we, if we have a look on anti-Semitism, um, we can, how do we establish the fact um, it's since about 15 years that the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe in, I would say, in all countries, uh, in all European countries, and in Western Europe there has been an ongoing debate where it's coming from, uh, where the violence incidents are coming from, and um, there has been a discussion, ongoing discussion, that it's large in, in part um, the perpetrators are often uh, often have Muslim Arab background, but it is um, still contested to some point. We can see, we can look at surveys, we can look at statistics of perpetrators, and I want to show you some. Um, the this issue has been um, has not found much attention for many reasons, and maybe you are interested in discussing um, why there is a lack of attention by scholars and politicians on this particular issue. Um, yeah, generally, um, I just want to show you two, three uh, survey results. Anti-Semitism in Europe is fairly high. Um, this is, these are results from the ADL that you, every two, three years, they do surveys in in different European countries, and here are the results from three countries. Um, so you see that um, the show Jews have too much power in the business world is uh, still popular. Um, and you see here in these statistics, staggering high in Hungary. Um, Hungary is a very specific issue, and I won't talk about Hungary tonight. Um, I will concentrate on Germany, France, and the UK because um, these are the three countries where most Muslims live. But even in these three countries, um, we have high anti-Semitic attitudes. Um, Jews still talk too much about what happened to them in the Holocaust. It's also something um, what has been described as secondary anti-Semitism, a reaction to um, that in Germany, for example, Germans do not want to be reminded of the history of the nation that they were responsible for the Holocaust. And <clears throat> therefore, that might explain why it's particularly high in Germany here, 43% uh, do believe that Jews still talk too much about what happened um, during the Holocaust. And for Germany, um, there has been uh, there often uh, other surveys, and there has been a, um, an, 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 a commission or an export report, um, and it's estimated that about 20% of Germans um, can be considered to be anti-Semitic. Now, if we compare the in surveys 
uh, Muslims and non-Muslims. We can see there are different surveys. We, there are surveys comparing different countries and surveys only in, in uh, some of the countries or one country. And this is a survey which is a bit older, from 2006, but that had the question, do you have a positive or negative view on Jews? And there you see a staggering difference between Muslims and non-Muslims. Um, so it's, this is, I want this another, more recent from 2013, from last year, uh, another question, Jews cannot be trusted, was there the, the question, and uh, so in Belgium, that is BE, Belgium, Christians agreed, or 7% of the Christians agreed that Jews can't be trusted, and more than the half, the majority of Muslims in Belgium said Jews cannot be trusted. And in Germany it was 10% of Christians and 28% of Muslims, and 7% of Christians and 43% of Muslims said Jews cannot be trusted. So where is that coming from? Yes? Are there any controls? I mean, what percentage of people in Belgium believe Armenians can't be trusted? Sorry? Which percentage? What percentage of people in Belgium believe Armenians can't be trusted? Yeah. The, the that has full. There are no controls yeah. there. I don't know how this compares to their feelings. You know, yeah, you're right. No, no, you're right. No, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to, to take questions. You're right. You're right. Seriously. No, okay. that's fine. Um, this is, you can discuss surveys, and this is one, before, one of the disadvantages of these kind of surveys. We don't know how that compares to others. Right. A lot of these have no, no basis. It, but this survey compares also to, um, I think, to, to how they view Christians. I don't have these statistics here, but I can tell you. But my point here is, my point here is the difference between Muslims and non-Muslims. That's my only point. But the other, you're right. We should uh, discuss that critically. You're right. But this is my, my main point here in terms of these surveys. Um, you see more detailed surveys here now with different backgrounds. This is one in Germany. Uh, they had 12 or 13 questions or so. Um, and that might be one reason why there's a difference. So, there was a question, in my religion, they warn us against trusting Jews. And they had a survey of different, that was high school students. They surveyed 2,500 high school students. Um, and those with Turkish backgrounds, and they all had, they all identified themselves as Muslim. And I said, 15% of them said, completely agreed, that in their religion, um, they warn us against trusting Jews. 20% with Kurdish background, 80% with Arab background, 7% Polish background. So you, there you have a comparison to other background with Christian background, and 28% with, without any migrant background. Um, also there you see difference between Muslims and non-Muslims. And also if you distinguish between people with migrant background and non-migrant background, right? The people from Polish background in Germany yeah. have also migrant background. Um, and this is uh, the, the other question there. In my religion, it is the Jews who drive the world to disaster. Um, you see similar responses um, that more people with Muslim background, with different ethnic backgrounds, so Turkish, Kurdish, or Arab background, 
And then you also see the differences. Um, they agree more to these uh, to these uh, this attitudes than people without Muslim background. Yeah. And, well, there is also this classical Jews have too much influence in the world. We can also distinguish between these backgrounds. <clears throat> it shows similar um, results, but maybe um, surprising here is that 40% uh, is Arab background. Who thinks so? So there's a difference. They all, the, the first three, Turkish, Kurdish, and Arab, people's Arab background, they all identify as Muslim. But there's, there are differences, right, um, with their ethnic background. Okay, I don't want to bore you too much with these surveys. I want to go to the statistics about um, incidents, anti-Semitic incidents, and here we have violent anti-Semitic incidents in France. In France, um, there is um, the police and also. Um, the um, um, the um, a Jewish organization that uh, collects data and the CNCDH this is a governmental organization they collect these data on violent incidents per year they do their annual reports and this is where I got these numbers from first of all we see um, that from the 1990s there's a sharp rise in anti-Semitic incidents in France, in violent anti-Semitic incidents, sharp rise. And then what, is, what you see green is those who were identified as Muslim or Arab. And that varies per year. And it's, it goes from, well, in the year 2000, um, uh, from 109 out of, what is 25 or so uh, incidents to 19 out of um, 130 something in uh, 2011. So it varies. And what you see as uh, yellow here is those who are not identified. Because often, of course, if there's a violence incident, we don't know what the background is in many cases. Unfortunately, the sensitivities for the year 2012, they did not collect data or didn't publish data on the ethnic or religious background. Why? That is a good question I asked them. They didn't reply to me. Um, it's a very good question. I had the same, so yeah, didn't reply to me yet, and I have to ask them again, probably. Yeah. But there were, we know, in 2012, there was a very violent incident, the most violent incident for decades, probably the most violent incidents in, in post-war uh, Europe um, that was in Toulouse, uh, you are familiar with that word, um, jihadist shot three children and one um, teacher and father. Um, and that, of course, um, had a, a huge impact on the Jewish community, not only in Toulouse, not only in France, but all over Europe. If you, uh, if you don't think that the children are safe in school um, for, for some years, um, there were 
reports of violent incidents in public schools in France and Jewish parents and said, well, if it gets worse, we send our, our children to Jewish schools. But with this incident, this is not, uh, cannot be, the, the, the Jewish children cannot be safe. And so it has a, a huge impact on the Jewish communities all over Europe. Yeah. Uh, what does that CNCDH stand for? Is that a, what organization is that? Uh, it is a governmental organization. Commission. Um, the French, sorry, it's from France. Yeah. Commission Nationale. It's French government. This is government-sponsored. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So are they intimidated about reporting uh, Muslim incidents from by Muslims, or do you think that maybe why they don't report them, why they didn't in 2012? Yeah, but it's it's strange that they did it all these years, and then not in 2012. But. I think it might be a new government policy, but the French government today is um, outspoken against anti-Semitism and they do take action, but they are reluctant to um, talk about Islamists. So that might be a reason, yes, but I, I don't know. That was my, still my question. Yeah. Um, well, the statistics in the, in the UK are a bit more difficult because we don't have statistics about the religious background. We have statistics about the appearance of, um, um, of ethnicity. And we can re only refer from that indirectly, um, so it's more difficult. And my estimation is that's about 30% of the perpetrators in the UK um, of um, of uh, anti-Semitic incidents um, are Muslims. But this is the estimation I make from these figures, like um, those with Asian background, those with Arab or North African background, those with um, black and white. And I assume that about half of those with Asian background, Asian in this case, in the British context, is uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, India, right? So if you look on the uh, statistics, about half of this group that is described as Asian is Muslim. So this is an, just an estimation. But you can contest that, and we don't really know. Um, and the um, Muslim population in the UK is about 5%. Joe. So in the country? Yes, in the country. Sorry? That's mostly urban, right? Yes. So it, it, it it's so we're differs. It's not like the overall population. We're find a lot of Pakistanis in Yorkshire. Yeah. We're going to find an urban person. Yeah. But this is also nationwide. The statistics on anti-Semitic incidents is nationwide. It doesn't matter if it's nationwide, if it's the city of Italy. So you don't count the whole population. Yeah. So what yes. I'm saying is that Muslims are a larger percentage of the population than the Muslim Jews in general populations because we're in the cities. Right, but not thirty percent. In London, for example, if you talk about London or Manchester where the majority of Jews also live, yeah, 
then uh, in these cities, the percentage of Muslims is not 30%, it's about 10%. Oh, there are about 300,000 Jews in, in, in the UK. So less than half a percent. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then there was a recent survey, an interesting one. Jews were asked what they think were the, what the background of the perpetrators were, are. Um, and this was distinguished between serious anti-Semitic violence and threats and harassment. So these are the statistics about um, serious anti-Semitic violence and threats. And there, 40% of the Jews who took part in the survey, and it was in these um, eight different countries, yeah, Belgium, France, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Latvia, Sweden, and the UK, 40% said they were Muslim. These were Jewish victims. Jewish Jewish victims, okay. Jewish victims, yeah. In what way were they victims? They were victims of anti-Semitic violence and threats. They were attacked, they were personally attacked. Yes, insulted, threatened, attacked. And they were, they were asked, they were, took part in the survey, and that was their response. And this, as you can see, includes countries like Hungary, Latvia, um, and Sweden where, uh, yeah, where not many Muslims live. So we can assume that it's in France, this percentage is higher. Right. So what's FRA, that the survey? Oh yeah, this is, um, this is, um, the survey was done by the um, European Union uh, Agency for Fundamental Rights. Um, and this is sponsored by the European Union sponsored by the European Union, um, so it's not a private organization or institute. And they did it in cooperation with uh, some universities, but they well, were sponsored by the European Union. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look on harassment, um, the percentage of um, it was Muslim backgrounds or Muslims were 27%. Um, and interestingly here we can see, oh sorry, those which, I don't know if you know that, the second, second largest is people's left wing, or from, from the left. So more than 20% from the left, more than from the right. And also, oh, sorry, um, this is also true for the anti-Semitic violence and threats. I found that really interesting, that those with uh, left wing, that were affiliated with the left, were more than affiliated with the right. Okay, but my question is, why is that so? Why do we have a difference here? I mean, we can observe that in these different surveys that there is a difference between Muslims and non-Muslims. Um, but why is that so? Well, there are different theories about that. 
Some said, well, this is because they are discriminated, and so they take it out on Jews. Some said it's because of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and they identify Jews with Israelis, and then they take it out on Jews. I didn't find all these arguments convincing, so I thought the best way to um, find out is to ask Muslims themselves, if they don't like Jews, why is it so? And I did interviews in Berlin and Paris and London, and I asked uh, more than 100 young uh, people, um, why is it that they, or what are their views of Jews? I can tell you more about the uh, methods and, um, <clears throat> but what I found out is that there are four different answers, four different categories why they say they don't like Jews. So this classic anti-Semitism, conspiracy theories and stereotypes like Jews are rich. Um, then there are negative views of Jews with references to, to Israel, like um, Jews uh, or Israelis killed in an orphan. Uh, there is no distinction between Jews and Israelis. Um, so, and then <coughs> we have also a, a third category of arguments. Yeah. You, you, you said there's no distinction between Israelis and Jews. Yeah. By, by <coughs> the really. Yes. They often they they say, um, well, the uh, the Jews kill children. And then ask, well, do the Jews kill children? And they ask, yes, in Palestine, Palestine, uh, they kill children. And ask, well, I say, they are are these the Jews in general? Uh, these Israelis, and for them, often they say explicitly, no, it's all the same. And some just, if they're more educated, they make a distinction. And, but then during the uh, conversation, it gets uh, conflated again. Very few people who have negative views of Israel make the distinction. That was my observation. So, so that's, that's then the image of the Jews, right? And it's rather the idea, or if, if there is uh, something that have a negative views about Israel, it is for them a sign how bad the Jews are. Right? So it's the idea of the Jews. And, and there's a third category where direct references to the Muslim identity, or the ethnic identity, or Islam. And that is, comes, across as if there is there's a widespread assumption that Muslims and Jews are enemies in general among Muslims. And if you think about that, if you truly believe that and you identify as a Muslim, then how can you distinguish yourself from that? That would mean then to say, well, the Muslims don't like the Jews, but they all wrong the Muslims and I don't have problems there. So if and about a third of those I interviewed believe that Muslims and Jews are enemies, it is very difficult for them then to say, well, but the Jews are not my enemies. So this is an argument with the Muslim identity. And then there are also other arguments with direct reference to the Quran or to stories about Muhammad, Hadith, um, they might have heard in, in mosques or uh, friends or family members. And then I think more most frighteningly is uh, 
is if somebody is asked, why do you, or says, somebody else says he doesn't like Jews, and then is asked why, and doesn't feel the need to rationalize it. Or says, um, I hate Jews and this is just like it is, so what? <coughs> so that shows that is the highly irrational aspect of anti-Semitism, which is its core. I mean, the other arguments, so-called arguments, are not really arguments. It's not a, um, uh, to, to hate Jews in general, there is no argument for it, so it's irrational anyway. But some do not even feel the need to try to rationalize it. Um, I would like to give you some examples. This for that the classical answer that you all familiar with that, like the control of everything, and um, Jews are rich, um, don't want to go into that, but maybe the, um, well this one, because I think that it <coughs> goes far beyond um, Muslims, this, <coughs> these negative views of Jews with reference to Israel. And that has, um, well, two things come up, and they come up very often also in Western newspapers, even the New York Times and other newspapers. The idea that Jews kill children, or Israelis kill children, is a very common topic. Um, and it's emotionalizing. I think that's a very important aspect, emotionalizing and um, then stirring up uh, cancer of hatred that is already there. If you have this kind of view and if you can interpret images, you're probably all familiar with the uh, Aldura case 14 years ago uh, where this young boy was hiding uh, behind a concrete block with his father and allegedly shot by Israelis, but um, he was actually not shot by Israeli soldiers, but it was this image Jews kill children or Israelis kill children on purpose. Sorry? Eldora. Eldora, yes. Mohammed Eldora. Yeah. So this is very emotionalizing. And another aspect is that with regard to Israel, many have the view that they think Jews have taken Muslim or Palestinian or Arab land and it, it was not it was not right. It's uh, um, and that it has a Digitalization as an effect, not only for some border issues. Nobody's concerned with some borders or with some settlements. This is not the issue. It's the general question of existence of Israel there. Well, these two aspects are popular in, with these references to, to Israel. And it does, it's not nothing uh, of um, that there might be additional tropes of Jews poison water or um, steal water from Palestinians, but these are not the <coughs> most important tropes here. The, the most important are the Jews kill children, and <coughs> it is the, the entire Israel is um, is a project <coughs> that is not legitimate because this land was taken. Um, uh, allegedly, and belonged allegedly to uh, Arabs and Muslims or um, Palestinians. Um, yes, with the Muslim identity, 
while I talked about that, I want to, we can go into that a little bit later, but I just want to um, point out these negative views of Jews without rationalization. Um, that comes up in, in language also, that in German and in French, the term for Jew, Jude, or um, Juif, has become, among many um, young people, an insult. Even if there's no Jew present, it is in the everyday language, it's become an insult. So what does it, does it make of it? it just, first of all, it only works if everybody agrees that this is something negative. Otherwise, this wouldn't work as an insult. And then it is very difficult to stand up against this. Anybody to speak out against the use, the usage of this, of this term in a negative way is immediately insulted as a Jew. Um, so it is, um, it is something which is very difficult to fight and which spreads then in youth culture very easily and most uh, in, in most schools in Germany and France, there are reports, or in many schools at least, there are reports um, that this is, is a common um, usage of the term for, for Jew. Um, so it, it is, has become a, a certain norm, kind of common sense, that Jew, Jewish is something negative. Um, and if you I mean, one of the um, extreme examples of this, um, of this kind of argument, which is they didn't bother to, to argue, uh, was done by somebody in Berlin, Bashir. He said, um, when asked why he has so much hatred against Jews, he said, the damn Jews should be burned because they are Jews nevertheless. Jews are a Jew is a Jew anyway. So there's no reason for it. It's the only Jews are Jews, and this is why we hate Jews. So what are factors of influence? Um, they often refer themselves that they have these ideas from family members or friends. Um, and not all accept that, by the way. So I had some interesting examples where they, even against their own parents, uh, I know from somebody with a Lebanese-Palestinian background, he said his father at one point wanted him to become a martyr to kill Jews in Israel. That's what he said. And he stand up against his father and said, this is completely uh, ridiculous. I don't want to kill anybody and I don't want to kill myself. So there are a few examples who then speak out and even go against their parents. But it's, to imagine, very difficult um, to do that. Um, so, family and friends do have a very important influence and when we look into this structure about language where Jew has become a common insult, we can maybe understand how difficult it is then to um, step back from this influence from friends. Yes? I would think that using the term Jew would have been an insult 40, 50, 60 years ago, yeah. right? And yeah. so, is this something that's developing now? Or can you, you compare it to 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. 
Sorry, is it? Yeah, I mean, it was even, um, it was common, um, and it has come back, I think, um, in the last 10 years or so. difficult to see, I mean, we don't have enough, I mean, we have some anecdotes about this. Some people remember, yes, in their school, it was also an insult, used as an insult, but we don't have it, I think, yeah. From these anecdotes I can, uh, that I know of, um, that is, there is a new wave of using that language, yes. In Germany and France, in the UK it's a bit different. And it was more common in the 1990s than today. I don't know why. Yes? Uh, you mentioned earlier that the, there's poverty and uh, unemployment amongst the Muslim population. Yes. Um, do you have any data that uh, correlates uh, unemployment to uh, the, uh, these events? Yes. Uh, in various cities yes. of each of these kinds of four countries? Yes. There is um, this first one of the service here. This one. Jews cannot be trusted, right? Um, that was made in different countries, and we have uh, the results for three countries. Um, so it was a survey on um, how people think the Jews can be trusted or not, as an, as an anti-Semitic um, statement. You know, if you say Jews can't be trusted. And they asked also about the um, educational background and also about the income and they did not find any correlation and also another survey from Belgium uh, was the same well they had more questions um, of anti-Semitic items and they also did not find a correlation yeah. Yeah. to the, so the media, yes, the media, often it has been said that it's the Arab news channels, like Al Jazeera, that of course you can, uh, you get in Germany and France, uh, the UK and everywhere, um, and that has some influence, but most Muslims, and particularly young Muslims, do not speak Arabic, Arabic in a way that they can understand the news. So... <coughs> Um, sometimes they are influenced them by parents watching these channels and by the pictures, but as far as other services also tell about the media consumption, these channels are not the main uh, source of information. If you're loaded, you get bad things about Israel. Like I said, if Arabic youth listen to the vernacular news, yes. they hear bad things about Israel. Absolutely. This is a very good point because often then it, it matters how certain images are interpreted. If you have an anti-Semitic view already, then you get a confirmation. If you want to see that Jews killed children, you can see that in some images. And also in mainstream media, 
um, they are not too careful in making distinctions. And there's an interaction between this and what you said earlier about the second reason. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, and school, unfortunately, we, we think of school, yes? Well, I mean, it just, I mean, I was at Boston College last week where the, um, the students from Justice in Palestine invited the, one of the Israeli soldiers from Britain in silence. And they are, I mean, these people don't know that, these college students don't know the history of the land of Israel. And, I mean, these were college, Kids receiving a college education who don't have—I mean, I mean, I think a lot of those points is the lack of education or consistency of what we're teaching in education worldwide. It's not just at Boston College; it's at all universities. And that you know, the British mandate was all part of this huge piece of land that eventually became you know, Palestinian uh, Judea and Transjordan. They don't realize this. Yeah. They don't know. They don't realize it. They don't know it. Yeah. So even Israeli soldiers don't know the history because this guy's. And if he knew it, he wasn't telling. Yeah, and this is the next one. The school. Um, we, the school is still a very important source of information, of course, for young people. Um, and but we see that sometimes stereotypes are reproduced in school, and sometimes some refer to and Semitic thinking of what they have learned in school, particularly about the Israeli conflict, but also on other issues uh, about <coughs> the Jewish control before the uh, uh, Second World War, before the Holocaust. So um, it's not all good in school, and it should all be watched what teachers are teaching, absolutely. And there's a room for improvement as in. Yes. Yes. And of course, I mean, we have most, and um, there is an increase in uh, religion um, among Muslims in uh, not only Europe but worldwide, and so mosques gain more and more influence. Um, that, but that doesn't mean that everybody who's identifying as Muslim regularly goes to mosques. Some only go once a year, and not even that. Um, but those who identify as Muslim, usually the Imam is a very respected person. So whatever he says has uh, an important impact, usually, and it's not, it's rarely questioned. Um, we see if we, um, if we distinguish in surveys between people who uh, are more religious than others, that this also has an effect. Those who are more religious tend to have more anti-Semitic uh, attitudes. I don't know if I should ask you this. Yeah. I'm wondering what drew you to this topic. Sorry? What I was wondering what drew you to be specialized in this yeah. topic. Yeah, the, that was the lack of research on that and denial that is a, has a, uh, an effect. I was um, in uh, 2002, 3, 4 in Berlin and there was a rise of anti-Semitism um, after 9-11 um, that means that 
In the streets, there were attacks on Jews. That means there were ultimate graffiti. Um, that means that some of my friends who were not Jewish were uh, accused of being Jews and then attacked because they had uh, they spoke out against anti-Semitic views. Um, so there was a time when I thought, well, where does it, come, does it come from? And then there was a survey which showed that in different European countries um, there are uh, many of the attacks against Jews come from people with Muslim backgrounds, and this survey, also by the, by the predecessor of this organization, FRA, FRA, um, they dismissed, they, 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 uh, they gave this, this study, um, they commissioned this study, but they were not happy with the results, and they withdrew the study. I said, what is wrong there? And I said, it's important to look at that in more detail. And also from, I was then working in 2003 in an educational project, and we wanted to reach young people with different backgrounds. And so for us it was important to know what they think and why um, specifically they don't like Jews, if you, if you want to work on that. So that was my personal um, story why I can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe just coming to the conclusions, um, that we see that different sources. I mean, this is not, we cannot generalize saying, well, it's all because of the Islam, whatever that the Islam is. It has different factors. We cannot say it's because of the Israeli-Basi conflict. In my view, this is, um, this is often an excuse to justify anti-Semitic feelings. So, and it's also, if we look into correlations between discrimination and developing anti-Semitic ideas, even in theory, for me, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody so far has explained to me why there should be a correlation. That if somebody is discriminated, why this person then should hate Jews? I don't understand it, and I don't find it if I look into the, uh, the data. But what there is, I think, one strong factor is the what people think of is Islam. If they have a certain uh, way of interpreting Islam uh, in um, opposition to Judaism, for example, or in seeing Islam at war globally with Christianity and Judaism, some people have these ideas then, of course, it's a source for anti-Semitic attitudes. Um, right, so I think I, I want to conclude here, and we should discuss it a bit more. Um, I can go into some details if you want. Yeah. Thank you. I assume that you gathered some of this information yourself. Yes. Right, right? When you were asking these questions, did the um, um, did your subject ask you why you're asking the questions, who you are, and how the information will be used? Yes. Um, first of all, we did it 
was different. There were different interviewers. We had two women, two men, and two with Muslim background and two with non-Muslim background. And we tried it out a bit, and we didn't see much difference between mm -hmm. the answers to the different interviewers. And what we said, it is used for university. It's a, um, it's a research project. All the names, I point out some names, but they are not their real names. And we told them that. And there was not very much hesitation to tell us what they what they believe or what they think. Yeah. So that was not an, an issue. I mean, it's it's rather a time issue. But if you think about it, I used and also the other interviews used uh, that very few people get often the occasion to talk about whatever they want um, for I don't know, half an hour, an hour, um, and somebody's listening. So that's, that's rare. Yeah. It sounds like mission impossible, but what can be done to influence the views of Muslims? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think if we look into that, first of all, um, we have to see, we have to acknowledge, well, one thing, it, it cannot be tolerated, right? So it cannot be excused. There's no excuse for hating Jews. So if, if uh, politicians say, this is because of discrimination, then this is an excuse for anti-Semitism. Uh, so this should not be done. So there should be clear condemnation of anti-Semitic action and attitudes. That's the first thing, in school and from politicians <coughs> and so on. The second thing is these ideas, if you look at these ideas of if somebody has this idea, Muslims and Jews are enemies, there must be a reform uh, within Islam and Muslim organizations. Um, they have to speak out against this, against these ideas of um, enmity between Jews and, uh, and Muslims. These are some things. Then in schools, I think. They, they need more education. Um, but I think the most important thing is that people speak out. Often the, the rise of anti-Semitism depends less on the people who are anti-Semites, but more on those who speak out or do not speak out. So it's very important that uh, from all uh, members of society, Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, people speak out and do not accept this and do not excuse it as is often the case. Now, excuse it as either it's a result of discrimination or either it's a result of the israeli palestinian conflict. And both is wrong and dangerous. Yes? To what extent are the Muslims in these various countries living in cloistered communities versus interacting with the general culture? And I guess the corollary to that is we haven't really talked yet about the influence of these Muslim populations on the National governments that they're in. Sorry, say it again. Two-part question. Yes. First is, yeah. I'm familiar with Muslims in Paris, but I'm not familiar with Muslims in other areas. Yes. Are they living in cloistered communities, or are they living in communities where they interact with the general population? Right. And the second part of the question is, to what extent are Muslim views influencing national policy by country? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a very important question. Two questions, uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, two important questions. 
No, I meant two questions. You can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got two more after that. Yeah. I think well, I've been quiet the whole time, guys. <laughs> I think it's the um, the uh, it's sometimes it's exaggerated how parallel the societies are. There's more interrelation, but it depends on the area. In some areas, we have some schools where there are 99% uh, Muslims, um, and that's not But these are rather exceptions still. So, but there's a tendency for more separation, um, and it's. Uh, I think the governments are aware of the dangerous developments in that because if society gets too much split in this way. It's difficult to hold it together. Uh, this is in, in France. It's the also in Britain. It's um, it's a pressing issue. Um, it's in Germany too. Isn't it? Yeah, but it's less so because the um, the uh, people with Turkish background they have um, Turkey has a strong tradition of secularism. And many of the, about 25% of the Muslim, uh, Muslims in, or Muslim Turks in Germany, they are Levis. And Alevism, these are not the same Alevis as in, uh, in Syria. Other whites would be them in Syria. But Alevis, they are, there's in, in Turkey, and they are very, have a very liberal interpretation of Islam. Um, and so that is a little bit less, I think, of a problem. You have less Islamist <laughs> organizations. I mean, the, the Islamist organizations in Germany are militarish. Um, so this is, uh, they are still Islamists, but they are not um, as radical as some others in the UK or in France. So and then so the influence from Muslim organization on uh, the government policies, yeah, there has been um, some attempts even to accept Sharia law in the UK in some instances in feminine uh, conflict. I mean, in, in conflicts within families or different different issues have been accepted as a kind of um, agreement that can substitute the court decisions in a way. Um, and there's an ongoing debate on that in the UK. In France, that would be impossible to think of that, uh, because they have this very secular approach. Um, the is often it's the question if there's in the constituency, if the vote is that if politicians uh, try to um, make their politics uh, in a way that Muslims would uh, vote them, Islamists maybe would vote for them, this is the case in few areas. Yeah, in town hamlets in London, for example, it is the case. Um, but most in most um, places, Muslims are not in the majority or in, in uh, I mean, they have like five, six, seven percent of the vote at 
the most because often they don't want to have the right to vote. So they have the citizenship. Uh, citizenship. Yes. In Germany, um, only half of the Muslims have uh, are Germans. In France, and more, but still. No. In the UK as well. Yeah, in the UK, I have the statistics, but it's a bit more than uh, So you would conclude that many of the anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian movements and European governments are not due to the Muslim influence in their countries? Okay. They are. If you look on surveys, the anti-Israeli attitudes are very high in the general population mm -hmm. in all European countries. They don't need the Muslims for that, if you want. What do you credit that? What do you credit that to? I mean, why is it that that's greater now than ten years ago, fifteen years ago? The anti-Israel anti, uh, Israel and anti-Semitism. Um, it has never. I mean, it was never bad anti-Semitism in Europe, right? Um, the rise um, in incidences as yeah, violent incidents. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I think there's there's less um, it's it's more outspoken now than 15, 20 years ago. People do not hesitate as much as they did 20 years ago. Um, um, one of the uh, I think it has it is since the end of the 1990s and particularly since 9-11, that there's a rise of anti-Semitism. Um, the excuse of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is one thing, but that was true also in the 1960s. And 67 was a, well, that was maybe marginal among, in, in the population that they, I'm not sure. I don't really know why there is this rise, but it has something to do with the global development, this global phenomenon. The rise of anti-Semitism is, is a global rise. Uh, Islam is one factor, but it's only one factor. Yeah. Uh, do you think a focused program, say at high school level, gymnasium level, uh, young ones, uh, aimed at debunking this and dealing with it, whether it be lectures in their schools, movies, uh, Facebook programs, uh, comic strips, the way these young people communicate with people, uh, clarifying this issue, uh, applying, if possible, correctly <coughs> to this form of thinking, would influence in an effective way the coming generation? Uh, well, these are what tools do we have? We have education and condemnation, that's the tool we have. Well, and communication. Yeah. At so, their level. And there are attempts in Germany to do that. Um, there is a wonderful project by the American Jewish Committee. They have an office in Berlin. And they gather educators and they develop programs. But these are programs, you know, in one school, in one school year, they do this. And they have funding for two years, maybe, if they're lucky. Um, so it's not widespread, but there are some, some of these programs in place. And I think it should be, but it's not in the general education of teachers. So that's where it should go into. So in the teacher's education. 
And so Annette should go in with, with governmental programs. Um, and there should be maybe more push towards that. And that, yeah, that I think would be more successful. But I mean, all the other programs, are, they have good programs, but they are only you know, very small <coughs> programs. I don't know who was first here. Um, yeah. During, during the Depression, uh, Father Coughlin and the newspaper sponsored by the Ford Motor Company, and, uh, and in uh, New Jersey and in Michigan, there were people who marched around in uniform with the swastika on their uniform. And in Marshtown, New Jersey, they had to pass a law specifically saying you weren't allowed to march in the uniform of a foreign country. And it was the only way, the only way you could stop it. And that was the symptom of the Depression. And uh, the consequences and the, the logical consequences are, are painfully obvious. Yeah. People tried to get around. Uh, you ha we have laws in European countries, in many European countries, uh, in Germany and France, that, for example, do ban some symbols or uh, Holocaust denial and so on. But we have also comedians, uh, you might have heard of Dudonné and Malabala, French comedian. He invented a kind of Nazi salute, which resembles a Nazi salute, but is not quite a Nazi salute. And that is widely used. Um, by people who want to show their enmity um, against Jews, maybe, or other things. But so it's difficult to deal with that in a in a way of many, but it's also necessary. Yes. So, uh, so, so sorry, are you go first. I think. Uh, is there any Muslim group anywhere <coughs> that uh, advocates more or a less bigoted? Yes. yes. So we don't hear much about them. Occasionally I read about them in memory, uh, but I don't hear much about them. Do they have any impact? Are they are they are they attacked? Are they are they supported? Are they funding? Who are they? There are some. Most of them are individuals, uh, like politicians. In, uh, in Germany, we have some uh, politicians. They uh, say. They're Muslims and they condemn anti-Semitism. Um, whenever there's an incident, they condemn it. Um, so they, these are individuals, like some of them. Uh, well, is from the Green Party, and, well, they're different from different parties. Um, then we have other individuals, a uh, very good one, um, good organization. Um, it's called the Heroes Project. Um, it, is, it is founded by a young uh, Palestinian Israeli um, speaking out against anti-Semitism but also against the idea of honor and how to treat women, uh, women's rights. And this is a, um, the ideas of questioning some of the assumptions that are widespread in Muslim communities. So we have some of these organizations, yes. But there are exceptions. Individuals, individuals. 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 People are there. Organizations that are gaining or working to 
if they're not the same heights, um, and if they want to express themselves. So either they shut their mouths, or they do not act upon their beliefs, or they try to find ways to do it and to get away with it. So some anti-Semites are educated anti-Semites, and some educated anti-Semites look for ways to express their anti-Semitism. And one way to express your anti-Semitism today is saying, I'm not an anti-Semite, I'm an anti-Zionist. Yes. anti-Zionism, but just think of what is anti-Zionism. If somebody says, I'm anti-Zionist, um, yeah. so the question is, what, how does this, how does, how, how does the, so the reality that you study yeah. in your yeah. Muslim community, how does that reality fit into the sort of the discourse taking place in the American Jewish community right. and among scholars? Some scholars that are, and some members of the community are saying these are separate issues, but there's some that are saying with me, that they're interconnected and we can't really so how, how does your study fit into this the discourse yeah. in the community and in the academic community and the Jewish community? If it does. Yeah, there, there, there are, I mean, I'm not sure if, about what exactly you're talking about. Are you talking about people like Brian Fluke, who's a, right. he's a professor in, in, in London, I think? He says, those who attack, in an article in 2004, those who attack Muslim background to attack um, Jews. They don't do it because they want to attack Jews. They do it because they are against the Israeli government and their anger is just expressed in another way. And even if they say they hate Jews, they don't really mean it. That's what he said. Um, and I mean, you can turn and interpret, the, interpret any incident in another way, but this is for me, that does not make any sentence, just based in his fantasy, if you don't take, I mean, not the action and not the, what people say as what it is. But, I mean, you can, of course, you can make of reality, if you want to interpret it away, uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous, I think. This is this argument. But also, in general, like if, are we, are we talking about this case, interpreted in Muslim or people's actions, or is it in general when people say we criticize Israel and this is we can distinguish this to So maybe just to clarify where I'm coming from. So in the work that I do, I go to philanthropists and members of the community and scholars, and many of the scholars who work with this gap claim in varying ways and different uh, degrees and from different approaches that there's a very powerful correlation between contemporary anti-Semitism in Europe and North America and the world and the demonization of Israel. So there's a linear interconnect. Yeah. There are people who say no. Yeah. That if, if the Israeli, it's the Israeli government, it's settlements, it's occupation, yeah. if Netanyahu would change and there'd be peace, that, that that's a separate issue yeah. than anti-Semitism, let's say, in Kansas or yeah. in uh, Europe. Yeah, so in more general. Yes. I mean, we can, how, how can we answer this question? We can look into surveys, right? And you did uh, one survey, you did an examination, and you found correlation. I know from another survey in Germany, they had they asked questions about people that had, I don't know, 20 questions or so. And uh, some were related to anti-Semitism, and some were related to criticism of Israel. And they found that only 10% of those who criticized 
who had critical uh, opinions of, of Israel, only 10% of those did not have uh, anti-Semitic uh, That was the center in Bielefeld, um, and that was in 2004, I think, the consent to you. So that is one way of looking at it. I did another way. I asked, I talked to people, uh, to many people. I did interviews, and I found out those who had a, a very critical view of Israel. If I talked to them long enough, they mix it up, and then Semitic stereotypes pop up. So from that experience, I can also say there is a strong relation between it. And then I think the the the, the real questions here just, I mean, what what do people uh, consider as critical of, of Israel. Yeah? If you have some criticism, of course there can be criticism of some policies and some... But if you have it in a way... Bernard Harrison, I, I uh, recently read what he said. He said, if you accuse Israel of an utterly exceptional crime, well, he's British, so he has this kind of thing, utterly exceptional crime, um, I mean, to, to make the point that there's no Israel should be, shouldn't exist, you have to make the accusation of, of an utterly exceptional crime. And this is, what can that be? Dropping an atom bomb. Sorry? Dropping an atomic bomb. If they do it, or what? Well, no, we did it. Well, why, should, why should we be subjected to it? It's yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And this utterly exceptional crime, the accusation of it, if, if there is such an accusation, and it is not, any any I know of, is not based on reality. So that would be a clear sign for me that this is an anti-Semitic accusation, and not a criticism of some sort. You know, this is not your data, and it's probably it was not intended in your presentation. Should we be more concerned with Muslim anti-Semitism in Europe or Christian anti-Semitism in Europe? Uh, it's not Christian anti-Semitism in Europe. I don't mean Christian theology. I mean, Jabbok's, the Greek party, etc. I see, I see a correlation in this sort that it's often the the uh, many of the anti-Semitic attacks are done by Muslims. In France, it's, um, the statistics say about 30 to 50 percent, but it's well, when you talk to um, those in Jewish community who collect the incidents, they say more than 50%, and because there's a, uh, a huge gap where we don't know the background of the perpetrators, right? So we don't, we don't know exactly. But many of the incident um, attacks, and surely the most violent ones, are done by Muslims or Arabs in France and in the UK and. Germany, they also a strong far right, radical far right, neo Nazis who are very violent as well. So, but uh, so I think it is often uh, because it's tolerated the anti-Semitism by Muslims is tolerated among in the population and among politicians saying, well, they have their reasons because they affiliate themselves with the Palestinians even if in the Turkish case it's not true. I mean, most Turks, they surely do not want to be identified with Palestinians or Arabs in general. Right, right. So, 
this this is not but this is also an excuse then and it it uh, legitimizes anti-Semitic violence in a way so it becomes more widespread but of course I mean nine or I mean under 10 percent of the population in any of these countries is Muslim so if the majority if the 90 percent is strongly against anti-Semitism this wouldn't be a problem or at least not this big of a problem so of course we should be concerned with the majority but we shouldn't accept violence and anti-Semitism from the minorities yeah. sorry yeah. take the first yeah in any city, in any population, a group is marginalized and don't have any clout, they're going to act out. That's what a minority of people do anyway. I mean, we've certainly experienced that in this country. If, if the Muslims could be brought into the community in a way that they have more, more equality, wouldn't it change things? Or wouldn't it be at less apt to be looking down? Yes. And just to wrap it up, Gunter, one last question. 
On uh, I think it was January the 27th and 28th, there was this massive rally in Paris. Mm -hmm. yeah. so the people estimated there were 17,000 people. Yeah. There were West African men, the extreme right, uh, kind of marching together. And they were, I don't know if people were aware, they were yelling anti-Semitic uh, slogans and Jews and Jews That was the first time publicly, uh, at least what is known, that on the streets of Paris there was call, call, the, the, the call to throw Jews out of France. Yes. So, given your research in, and you lived in France, what were your, were you shocked? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. What, were, what, what did you? What, what's your thoughts on what happened? Yeah. I mean, this is this is. Uh, it is such a fast development in France of anti-Semitic, uh, of, of the rise of anti-Semitism. The, um, I mean, there was this wave of anti-Semitic incidents after 2000, in 2000, and afterwards on the streets, and Jews were not feeling safe in some areas, and so on. And then there was this. Uh, um, in 2012, the, in the uh, school, the Jewish school, was a Torah, um, that was so violent, and there was not only this individual uh, doing the violence, but there was support for this guy even afterwards. He was from West Africans? Uh, no, he was from a North African background. Who was this? Uh, North the, African. Sorry, North African, that makes more sense. You said the guy from North Africa. Yeah, yes. Algeria. Yeah. I thought he said sort of West Africa. I said West Africa. Yes, sir. Was it down? Or was the it Jamaica is from Cameroon. Oh, Dudoné is something different. So somebody else. So that was in 2012. 2012, there was this violent attack with some support. I mean, there, but there was still strength, strong condemnation for the government. Then there was Dudoné going on, and then there was, I mean, Dudoné with this Nazi salute and. Uh, he, he made a film, The Antisemite, right? He wanted to show it camps, but that was, didn't happen. But The Antisemite, with Iranian money, and it's, if you have seen that film, it's, it's a dream of an antisemite. And then there was this on the streets, on the, um, I think it was 26th, 25th of January, it was a Sunday, I think. So it was shortly before, in, in uh, France, you have the Holocaust Memorial Day, is 27th of January. The liberation of Auschwitz, um, and that was—I mean—that was a truly shock for me. It didn't um, find enough condemnation, I think, among intellectuals. There are only very few uh, who spoke out against that, and that was even a, a more of a shock for me um, in France. Yeah. You still have faith in the uh, so anyway, yeah. Winter, thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Uh, on behalf of this guy, I'll give you the uh, oh, books that we just published. Thank you. Well, Thanks thank for you. coming. Thank you for really important, your important presentation, a good presentation, but especially for the important work you're doing and uh, continued important work that you will do. Thank you. Okay, and thank you for coming. So this is just the end of our uh, events for the seminars of this year. We plan